It is so good to see all of you. I haven't seen most of you since last year. So, uh, so I had to slip that one in. I love that joke. I use it far more than anyone should. Um, but, but it's great to see you guys. Uh, any, I don't know why they keep giving me this microphone, but I do want to tell you I only drank one cup of coffee today because there was some buzz that I have too much energy when I'm up here. So uh, I'm going to talk a little slower today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something pretty crazy. Have you guys ever seen or heard about like comedians who flop and who just don't do well? This next part may absolutely flop, um, and that's okay. But I grew up in a, I, I spent most of my time here, most of my church life at Brown Corners, um, but there were actually about four, five, six, seven, my mom will correct me on the exact number later, um, but there are several years when we started at a small country church. Anybody start at a small country church? Um, so maybe you might remember the kids' message time. And when I went to this small country church, there was a guy named Marty. Um, and I will never forget Marty because he was the first person that I remember noticing who seemed to have fun at church. <sighs> Don't tell Dan, I just blew into the mic. Having fun at church was a wild concept. Anyway, one of the ways that Marty would serve at this little country church was he would help lead the children's message time. Um, and all the kids and I was one of them because I was like that tall at the time, would run up and we'd get in the front couple pews or whatever and he would share whatever he had to share. Um, so I'm going to try that today. So if you're a child, where are the kids at? If you feel like a child, you can come up to the front and sit right here and I'm going to read it. I'm going to talk to you guys. And if nobody shows up, I'm just going to read a story. But this is my favorite book ever. And I might get in trouble for reading this, but that's okay. Uh, it's called The Children of the King. Yeah, come on up here. And I actually bribed Owen to be my human mic stand. So Owen, you can come sit right up next to me. You can sit right here, you can sit right here, wherever you want. What's your name? Alex, Alex my guy. Alex is my new favorite next to Owen because he's, I had to pay, bribe him two cafe items. How's it going, William? All right, here, you ready? Here's how you do this. Hand right there. All right, so this is my favorite book. It's called Children of the King, and it's by arguably... The best, I'm going to sit up straight. Here, let me just adjust my mic stand. Bend, little bend, little bend, because then you hold that one. Good form. Little twist. There we go. Right there. Just don't hit me in the mouth with it, because I do that enough on my own. All right, so this is by Max Lucado, arguably the, one of the best storytellers of all time. But it's called The Children of the King. A long time ago, in a land much like your own, there was a village. And in that village lived five orphans, a lonely family of fatherless children they had banded together against the cold. One day, the king learned of their misfortune and decided to adopt them. He announced that he would be their father and would come for them soon. When the children learned that they had a new father and that their father was the king and that the king was coming to visit, they went wild with excitement. I'm not showing you guys the pictures. When, when the people of the village learned that, their children, that the children had a father and that their father was the king and that the king was coming to the village, they were excited as well. They went out to see the children and told them what to do. You need to impress the king, they explained. Only those with great gifts to give will be allowed to live in the castle. 
the people didn't know the king. They just thought that all kings wanted to be impressed. So the children began preparing gifts to offer the king. They worked long and hard to be sure that the king would approve. One of the children who knew how to carve decided to give the king a wonderful work of wood and art. He set his knife against the soft bark of the elm and whittled. The small blocks of wood came alive with eyes of a sparrow or the nose of a horse. His sister decided to present the king with a painting that captured the beauty of the heavens, a painting worthy to hang in his castle. Another sister chose music as her way to impress the king. For long hours, she practiced with her voice and mandolin. Village people would stop at her window and listen as her music took wings and soared. Yet another child set out to turn the king's head with his wisdom. Late hours would find his candle lit and his books open. Geography, math, chemistry. The breadth of his study was matched only by the depth of his desire. Surely a king would appreciate all his knowledge. But there was one sister who had nothing to offer. Her hand was clumsy with the knife, her fingers stiff with the brush. When the little girl opened her mouth to sing, the sound was hoarse. She wasn't much of a reader. She believed she had no talent, and so she believed she had no gift. All she had to offer was her heart, for her heart was good. She spent her time at the city gates watching the people come and go. She would earn pennies to buy food for her brothers and sisters by grooming people's horses or feeding their animals. She was a simple stable girl but she had a good heart. She knew the beggars by name. She took time to pet each dog. She welcomed home the travelers and greeted the strangers. How was your journey, she would ask. Tell me what you learned on your visit. How was your husband? Do you enjoy your new work? She was full of questions for people because her heart was big and she cared about people. They were all the same to her, the beggars and the rich. She cared, cared for them all just the way they were. But since the little girl thought she had no talent and no gift, she was afraid that the king would be disappointed. She remembered the villager's advice and set her mind about the task of making a gift for the king. She took a small knife and went to her brother, the carver. Could you teach me to carve, she asked. Sorry, the young craftsman responded without looking up. I've much work to do. I haven't time for you. The king is coming, you know. The girl put away her knife and picked up a brush. She went to her sister, the artist. She found her on a hill, painting a sunset on a canvas. You paint so beautifully, said the girl, who had no gift but a big heart. I know, the painter answered. Can you share your gift with me? Not now, the sister responded with eyes on her palette. The king is coming, you know. The girl with no gift then remembered her other sister, the one with the song. She will help me, she said. When she arrived at her sister's house, she found a crowd of people waiting to listen to her sister sing. Sister, she called, sister, I've come to listen and learn. But her sister couldn't hear. The noise of the applause was too loud. With a heavy heart, the girl turned and walked away. Then she remembered her other brother. She took a book with small words and big letters and went to see him. I have nothing to offer the king, she said. Could you teach me to read so I might show him my wisdom? The young sage-to-be didn't speak. He didn't, or he didn't speak. He was lost in thought. The child with no gift spoke again. Could you help me? I have no talent. Go away, said the scholar, scarcely moving his eyes from the text. Can't you see I'm preparing myself for the coming of the king? And so the girl went away sad. She had nothing to give. She returned to her place at the city gates and took up her task of caring for people's animals. After some days, a man in merchant's clothes came to the small town. Can you feed my donkey? asked the girl. The orphan jumped to her feet and looked into the brown face of the one who had traveled far. 
His skin was leathery from the sun, and his eyes were deep. His kind smile warmed the girl's heart. That I can, she answered eagerly, leading the animal to the trough. Trust him to me, and when you return, he will be groomed and fed. Tell me, she asked as the donkey drank, have you come to stay? For only a while. I'm looking for someone. Are you weary from your journey? That I am. Would you like to sit and rest? The girl motioned to a bench near the wall. The tall man sat on the bench, leaned against the wall, closed his eyes, and slept. After a few minutes, he awoke and found the girl sitting at his feet, watching his face. She was embarrassed that he had caught her staring, so she turned away. Have you been sitting there long? Yes. What do you seek? Nothing. You seem to be a kind man with a peaceful heart. It's good to be near you. The man smiled and stroked his beard. You are a wise girl, he said. When I return, we will visit more. And the man did return quite soon. Did you find the ones you were seeking? The girl asked. Oh, I found them, but they were too busy for me. What do you mean? The first one I came to see was a woodsmith rushing to complete a project. He told me to return tomorrow. Another was an artist. I saw her sitting on a hillside, but the people below said she did not want to be disturbed. The other was a musician. I sat with the others and listened to her music. When I asked to talk to her, she said she had no time. And the other I saw had left. He has moved to the city to go to school. The girl's eyes widened as she realized who the man was. But you don't look like a king, she gasped. I try not to, he explained. Being a king can be lonely. People act strangely around me. They ask for favors, they, they try to impress me, and, and they bring me all their complaints. But isn't that what a king is for? Asked the little girl. Certainly, responded the king. But there are times when I just want to be with my people. There are times when I want to talk to my people, to hear about their day, to laugh a little bit, and to cry some. There are times when I just want to be their father. Is that why you adopted the children? That's why. Adults think they have to impress me. Children don't. They just want to talk to me. They know that I love them just the way they are. But my brothers and sisters were too busy. They were, but I'll come back. Maybe they'll have more time another day. The girl hesitated. But sir, what about me? I have no gift, but I would like to be your child. The king smiled. My dear, you have the best gift of all. You gave your heart, your kindness, your time, your love. Of course you'll be my child. I love you just the way you are. And so it happened that the children with many talents but no time missed the visit of the king, while the girl whose only gift was the gift of her heart became the child of the king. Shout out to them for helping me out. Easily my favorite story. I don't know who was holding the heavier object, Owen or me, because that book got heavy quick. So every now and again, when I need to unwind, I'll play some video games. Bruce is already judging me. I can feel those eyes, Bruce. Calm down. <laughs> but uh, some, uh, often I'll play with students, uh, and I have a few students that I play regularly with, and um, lately we've been playing, we've played hunting games together and all kinds of different games. But and it's been one of my, like, through COVID and through quarantine, it was one of my favorite ways to connect with students um, and get to know the kids a little bit. Do you guys realize how absurd some of the things that middle schoolers say? Like, it's ridiculous. But 
sometimes in the thickness of the nonsense will come a glimmer of light. So one day in particular, I, and I'm not going to mention any names, you know who you are, but they were already online when I got home from work. Um, so I hopped on and they were playing a game called Minecraft. I know very little about Minecraft except that it's one of the most popular games right now and you build stuff, all right? You mine for materials and minerals to build stuff. That's, and the kids are like, Hunter, that is so, there's so much, you're wrong. You're so wrong. I know, I'm not getting it. But the grown-ups don't care about all the other stuff. So you build houses and stuff. Anyway, by the time I had hopped on, one of the students was freaking out because he had built his house and managed to light it on fire, and it was burning down. And the other kid was laughing at him, kind of ridiculing him. More, more idiot, you burned your house down. And I was, I hopped onto the chaos. And so they put the fire out and hopped over to this other game that I was playing. And a few minutes go by, and one of the students says, Hunter, what is the most important piece of advice that you would give us right now? Nothing like putting a guy on the spot. I just want to play some video games. <laughs> but so I stumbled for a second as I collected my thought, and I, res- I replied with something to the effect of, well, I would say pursue God with every part of your being. Matthew 6, and I, I quoted Matthew 6, and I said, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people, and he basically says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about food, future, work, nothing. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and and he'll take care of all that other stuff. I said, that's probably the most important thing that I could tell you. After a second or two of silence, he said, oh, I thought you were going to tell us not to burn our house down. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Calling that one a draw. Um... But then fast forward a couple weeks, and it came to prep for this message. Herb had given me a sneak peek into his message last week, uh, which, by the way, if you missed it, uh, I'd go back and listen to it because it was incredible. Because he reminded us by diving into a few different scriptures that we have a past that we need to reflect on, that we need to learn from, and that we need to move forward. And the title was Remember and Move Forward with God. And as we get into this time of year, there seems to be a particular buzz around something that's actually been referenced several times already, New Year's resolutions. By the way, great to see you guys. It's been since last year, since I've seen most of you. Incredible. Yeah. Too much? Is that, is that one too many, maybe? I just needed a little break to catch a drink because that book was a lot of words. <laughs> Anywho, do you guys say New Year's resolutions or New Year resolution? Or I don't know where the S is. I don't know what's plural and what isn't. But So I'm going to mess it up, and I'm going to flip-flop any who's it. I have a little bit of an issue with New Year resolutions. Um, I think that the whole purpose of them, like Anna said, what was it, 90% of them are done by the second week of February. Well, that seems like a waste of time and effort to go through the process of creating this resolution if I'm just going to not finish it. So why not? Just skip it all together. Don't set, your, don't set any expectations. Hit the mark every time, right? Terrible advice. Don't listen to that. Delete that. Edit that out. But the heartbeat of them seems to be like a quick fix. Like, all right, I want to lose 
15 pounds or I want to I want to diet. It, or sometimes we go too big. I'm going to do keto diet the rest of the year or like these massive goals. I want to build a house in my backyard in the next six months. Sometimes our resolutions are a little too big. Um, and sometimes they, they seem to address symptoms and not problems. But I am a huge prop- proponent of year-round goal setting and tracking. One of the things I say all the time is we need to be in a constant state of evaluation. Uh, and what do we need to evaluate? Well, we need to have goals so that we can evaluate them. Oh, I want to be a better person. Well, what does that look like? Oh, well, it means I want to, or I want to be more disciplined. Oh, what does that look like? Oh, I want to do this. We need to have regular goals. We need to be evaluating them regularly, reflecting on how we're doing, how we're impacting others, how we're contributing to society. And, and in our immediate context in the church, are we discipling? Are we reading our Bibles? Are we showing up to church? All that stuff. And then make the regular necessary changes. Now, this could all be semantics. You could be like, Hunter, you literally just said New Year resolutions are dumb and then talked about how you need to make something that's basically a New Year resolution. But I think the biggest difference is in the preparation. All right, so goal setting requires a little bit more, in my opinion, again, probably semantics, but requires a little bit more of a process, a little bit more thought, a little bit more preparation. Goal setting requires a bit of a system. Now, I'm not sure if you know this about me, but there are times where I can tend to be maybe a little bit unorganized, just go walk by my office, a little bit scatterbrained, no, a little bit squirrely, no, I don't know who wrote this, but it's not me. But so since that's the case, I tend to be a little bit more thorough with some of these systems. Uh, I just, on my socials, I did social media sites, I gave people a little bit of sneak peek into my sermon writing process, into my message writing process. It's a long process. There were like double digit steps in this process. And I have to have that system so that I can set myself up for the most success. So the first step is, like, you got to know yourself to understand how, like, I need a big, deep system. For example, last year I read 10 to 15 books, which was the first time in my life I read more than a book that somebody made me read, um, which was great. This year I have a goal to read 24 books if my math's right, that's like double almost what I read last year. So I have this big book collection of list of books. I've been slowly buying them or getting them. Like people would get them. Like a lot of my Christmas gifts were books. It was awesome. I love it. People say I have a shoe problem. I have way more money into my books than I do my shoes. And I wear my shoes every day. I don't read half of the books on my bookshelf. So... But last week I sat down and I, I got these books. I got my list. So I sat down and I created a schedule. January, New Testament and its world, the prodigal prophet. February, that's all I know. I don't know what books I'm reading in February. It's on my piece of paper, on my fridge. And I taped the list to my freezer because when I finish a book, this is the best part, I get to go into my freezer and grab a Dove dark chocolate ice cream bar as a reward. So I need a system. I need a process and then I need a reward, all right? I also need extra accountability. So I got this guy that I work out with, 
uh, and we do Bible study stuff together. And I'm going to be saying, hey, dude, you better be checking in. Ask me how my reading's going. The important part's the reward, that ice cream bar. <laughs> I'm excited for that. So goal setting over resolutions, it could be semantics, whatever. But I think there, you need to know what kind of system you need. Do you know what I love about that book, The Children of the King? The king doesn't care about what the children could offer. As a matter of fact, it was their pursuit of their gifts and impressing the king that was exactly why the king left them behind for another day. The king just wanted to be with them. He just wanted to be a father to them. But they didn't have time for the king. I'm not sure about you, but I often forget just how much God wants to simply be with me. Just wants some of my time. Like, I don't have to clean myself up before I go to God. I don't have to stop using certain language or stop a bad habit or, or have perfect church attendance or perfect certain skills or memorize a certain amount of verses. All I have to do is run to him. Or more accurately, turn around because he's already right behind you waiting for you to stop and turn to him. Now, that's not saying that those behaviors, habits, and pursuits won't change after we turn to him. But we don't have to clean ourselves up first. And I think it's really easy for us church folk to get caught up in woodworking and singing, painting, or thinking, just like the children from the book. I think we get so caught up in doing that we miss the being that God longs for. Being with him, first and foremost, and being with others. One thing Pastor Herb mentioned last week, as he shared some quick thoughts on how to treat your pastors, specifically Jeremiah. Oh, by the way, Pastor Jeremiah is back next week. What? What? Wow. I thought... <laughs> I thought that was going to flop, but it was that line. That was so far the biggest. Sorry, PJ. I was pulling for you. But you are back next week. But one of the things that Pastor Herb talked about was how to treat your pastors. And he shared several points. Um, ice cream, Dove dark chocolate candy bars. Oh, wait. No, it was something totally different. No, but... He said that we as pastors are naturally workaholics, and that's true. Anybody else in the room naturally a workaholic? You just like work, 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 work. When you're done, you do a little bit more work. Then you eat some, take a quick bite, and then you go back to work. Then when you're done working, you're thinking about work and thinking about the things that you didn't get done, and then you have to do tomorrow things that you wish you get to get, you get it today. So as pastors, why, either we're working or we're thinking about work. Um, and just one day a week, though, right? We only work one day a week. But oftentimes it's hard to remember because we love you guys and we love what we do and we love everything about ministry. It's hard to remember that we need to protect and prioritize our own health, schedule, and personal time. Maybe you can relate if you're a workaholic as well. The idea here is balance. Not only do I want balance in my life, which some of you don't think I do anything but uh, sit at a computer and now I'll play video games. So I do a couple things. It's exciting. Uh, but 
I want you to have balance in your life this year. All right? I want you, all right, here's, I'm going to lose a couple of you. I want you to thrive. I want you to be the best version of yourself at work, at home, at church, and wherever else you go. But if you're burnt out, you can't do that. More significantly, this is the important part. I want you to honor God with every part of your being in every part of your life. But if you're bitter and overworked and exhausted, and whether it be over-serving at church or overworking, working too much time, overextending yourself at home, etc., you cannot honor God with every part of your being in every part of your life. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, 28 through 34. You've heard this probably. One of the scribes approached. When he had heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. See, Jesus said that these are the most important. Nothing else is more important than these. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not our church attendance, not our tithing, not our service, not how much scripture we read or memorize. All things that are very important in the Christian walk. Don't kill people. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't steal. All super important in the Christian walk. But if you are not loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, you're missing something. See, these two commands... If you follow Jesus, all, they fulfill, they take care of everything else. They fulfill the rest of the commands. If you're loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to show up to church. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to be loving your neighbor. You're going to be not cheating, stealing, lying, whatever. You're going to do all that other stuff because you're doing these two things first. It, but if we aren't loving God with every fiber of our being and loving our neighbor as ourselves, everything else is meaningless. See, these two commands can be the filter for everything we do. Is what I'm doing loving God with my heart, mind, soul, and strength? Is it loving my neighbor as myself? They could be a filter. Would I say this to me? Would I do this to myself and be all right with it? When we realize that loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves is more important than all that other stuff we get distracted by, all that other stuff we get hung up on, then we too will be close to the kingdom of God. Are you close to the kingdom of God? What does your pursuit of the kingdom of God 
look like. And Jeremiah did an incredible series on the kingdom of God in the, I think it was early 2019, January, February. And it's on our Vimeo if you want to go back and kind of dive into what does it look like? What is the kingdom of God? I'm not going to dive into that. We don't got that much time. But I'm not just talking about showing up to church. But how are you loving God with all of your heart? Where does he rank? Where does your personal relationship with God, not your church attendance, maybe that's part of it, not your personal Bible time, maybe that's part of it, but where does God rank in your priorities? Is your relationship with God important to you? How much time do you spend trying to get to know God better? One of my goals this year is not simply to read my Bible, but a bunch of those books are extra biblical resources to help me better understand this book because I wasn't born 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, so I don't understand some of the context stuff completely. So I need to read other stuff. I need to understand the original languages a little bit better. I need to understand my faith a little bit better. How about with your mind? And this kind of goes with the books. But what content are you taking? And I always tell the students, what goes in will eventually come out. What content are you taking in that helps you know God better? Books you're reading, movies you watch. Uh, did you see the new Spider-Man movie? I heard Batman dies at the end. Um, I'm kidding. You, Batman is not even in the same world. Some of you, all right, some of you, all right. I know it's, it's not even 8.30. The 11 o'clock people are like, we are here. You got to be done. Or we're all right, there's 8.30 people are like, why are we here and it's 11? Calm down. Do you love God with all your soul? Do you love God with all your strength? What's getting your effort? What's getting your time? What's getting your focus? See, these four things, heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's every part of you. That is every fiber of your being, physical and spiritual. Are you doing that? If not, Maybe don't make a resolution, but sit down this week and think about what are some things that I can do? What are some systems that I can create? Some accountability and, yes, some rewards that can help me love God better. And, I, and this all can be incredibly overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed just standing up here. But it is possible. One of the things I try to do is I try to find just generally in life, whether it's here in ministry, whether it's in the woodworking stuff I do, I try to find somebody that is doing what I want to do or doing better in an area, and I try to model the behaviors and the things that led to their success. A lot of those guys in the ministry context are pastors who have been in ministry forever, and they've been consistent in their lives and in their ministries. And a couple of those guys are on Twitter. One of them, his name's Ray Ortland, and you may have heard of him. Uh, he's a pastor in Nashville, written several incredible books um, on the Christian life. And check out his stuff. But he's also, if you're on Twitter, he's an incredible, encouraging um, Twitter follower. And he, he wrote this tweet the other day that kind of added a little new perspective on goals and resolutions and stuff. And he said, my pastor friends, here's a crazy idea. In 2022, let's call a moratorium on the word should in preaching. Let's replace it with the word can. For example, rather than you should live a better life, you can live a better life. And then explain gospel, not law. And then he wrote a blog post um, for the Gospel Coalition called Should or Can in 2022. And that's going to be linked or featured in the BCC Weekly. 
this week. If you're not receiving that, um, contact someone, probably me. Talk to me. I'll make sure you're on the list. Don't just talk to some stranger. Hey, I'm not getting the BCC weekly. As we reflect on how to honor God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, let's replace should with can. Because I believe that you can honor God with your heart this year. I believe that you can honor God with your mind this year. And you can honor God with all your soul and all your strength this year. And I want to die, go bounce back a little bit to that scripture I referenced with those kids playing that video game. But instead of the Matthew, we're going to look at Luke's account. Luke 12, 22 through 34. Luke 12, 22 through 34. Then he said to his disciples, this is Jesus talking, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not even able, if you're not able to even do a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Very easy to worry about the things of life. And they're important. But Jesus says that we don't have to. We don't need to get worried. We don't need to get anxious. We don't need to get worked up about them. I tend to get worried and anxious about a few things. I tend to get a little bit worked up about finances. Um, and not because I don't do well, not because I, but because I'm a grown-up now, I'm an adult, I have a mortgage, I have to pay taxes, I have a car payment. Some people would say that maybe I have a shoe problem. Um, and, but I learned this past week, maybe my book problems are a little more serious, uh, and I just can't seem sometimes to pass up a good deal. You guys ever been post-Christmas Christmas decorating, decoration shopping? I was at Walmart. I had an entire cart full of stuff. I went home and I'm putting up new decorations for the next month to get some extra money out of it. Tell you what, I'm going to be celebrating Christmas in July this year, maybe Christmas in August. Year-round Christmas at my house. But all joking aside, it's easy to get worked up about things of this world. Relationships, money, all that stuff. Maybe, how are you doing with your family? Are you working too much? All that stuff. We get worked up. It's easy. We get anxious. We're overstimulated by everything that's going on in the world. Turn your phone off. Turn the TV off. Do a puzzle. 
But what we do have control of most of the time is managing this heart, mind, soul, and strength stuff. If we are actively seeking first the king and his kingdom, all that other stuff will be taken care of. If you're looking for some ideas on how to do that, uh, come talk to us. Come go to coffee with a pastor. Find a ministry leader. If you're uh, in the well, upcoming, coming soon, men's ministry, talk to one of the guys there, women's ministry, small group leader, discipleship community teacher, pick their brain. But you can't just enter into this year with the same old complacent, sloth-like attitude and expect to become a whole new person. That's insane. The king has sought you out. Every single person in this room has been sought out by the king. He is prepared to bring you into the kingdom. Are you listening or are you too busy? Are you seeking him out? See, seek his face, his plan, and his kingdom. And all that's going to be added to you. He's going to take care of all the rest of the stuff. We just got done celebrating a time where we celebrate this king literally entering into our world. Jesus came as a helpless babe, not to help you manage your finances, but to bring peace, love, and create the opportunity for you to enter into his kingdom. But he could only do that by offering himself in our place, by sacrificing himself on the cross, by dying the death that we all deserve and rising from the dead. Raising from the dead? Rising from the dead? Whatever. I'm not an English teacher. Putting the final nail in the coffin of eternal separation from God to give us the opportunity to seek his face, to submit our lives and make him Lord and Savior of our lives. If you've not entered into that relationship, turn around because he's right there waiting for you. And today, as we always do on the first Sunday of every month, we celebrate and remember this sacrifice, this salvation by participating in what we call the Lord's Supper. Thousands and thousands of years ago, God's people were enslaved by the Egyptians. Uh, and God used a man named Moses to guide them out of their enslavement. However, this would require a series of plagues against the Egyptians and the ruler of the Egyptians. And ultimately required the death of the firstborn son in all of Egypt. The angel of death would pass over Egypt and God's people would be saved. All they had to do was sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of that lamb on their doorposts. After that... Pharaoh would release Moses and the Israelites. And the events played out as God had said they would. And for years and years, they would celebrate that moment, and they would call it the Passover. They would celebrate the Passover feast. Fast forward to the time of Jesus, and he was celebrating this moment, this time God saved his people, celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples. However, it would be his last because another lamb would be slaughtered so that God's people could be rescued from slavery. This time, a slavery from sin and eternal separation from God. And at this celebration, Jesus would repurpose it in Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Jesus says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Sorry, Jesus didn't say that. It reads, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. 
For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Paul would later recount this in 1 Corinthians 11, where he would say, where he would write, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if then, just lost my spot. So then, whoever eats the bread, drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. As we prepare to partake, I want to give you some final instructions. At Brown Corners, we don't require you to be a member to participate in the Lord's Supper, but Scripture said that it's reserved for believers in Christ. As we just read, Paul also encourages us to examine ourselves before partaking, before participating. This isn't something to trifle with. If you have business to take care of with God, sin in your life, whatever, handle that business before celebrating communion. Uh, to prevent any bottlenecking and traffic jams, this might get me in trouble. We're going to have everybody exit that way and enter back in that way. So exit to the right, enter into the left to see we're trying something new. Uh, on, and in the middle, if you need gluten-free, there's gluten-free options in the middle. And the baskets, you don't have to pay to partake. The, those are for our benevolence fund. Uh, goes to needs within our church body. Um, so I'm going to pray. And then, I'm, and then I want you to handle your business as needed, and then when you're ready, just come on up and partake. Um, I'm supposed to cue Dan. I forgot to cue him. Let's pray. God, you are that God. You are the God who rescued your people from Egypt. You are the God who rescued us from sin. God, we just got done being a little bit of hyper-focused on what Christmas means. As we enter into this new year, God, let us evaluate ourselves. Evaluate how we're seeking or how we're loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Take some time to reflect on that and set some goals on how we can do better. How can we, how can we honor you better with our lives and how can we seek your kingdom? God, thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice that allows us to be in a relationship with you for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Handle your business and then come forward as needed.
lifts the voices together once again. Once again I look upon the cross where you died. Humbled by your mercy and broken inside. Once again I thank you. Once again. as ourselves. We love you, church. We'll see you next week.